0: For some reason, I think socially, there's less of an expectation that you're going to have particular standards around a casual relationship. You know, unfortunately we have kind of this unofficial script for casual relationships of like, oh, we're just fuck buddies, so that mm-hmm. means we hook up, maybe we're friendly, but no cuddling, no real communication, keeping each other at arm's length, you know, like... I had a
1: guy who said, no kissing.
0: Boy! Oh boy, We could oh boy. have sex,
2: but no kissing.
0: Well oh, Dude! T- t-
2: On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about relationship standards. Standards are discussed a lot, particularly when people are dating. Many people, usually women, are criticized for having standards that are, quote, too high, hindering their ability to find a partner. Or other people might be criticized for having standards that are too low, opening them up to being taken advantage of or keeping them in an unhealthy relationship. So in this time, as many more people are jumping back into the dating scene, we'd like to take a look at what standards even are. What does it actually mean to have standards that are too high or too low, and how to reevaluate your standards if you think you need to?
0: So we have covered healthy slash unhealthy relationship expectations. That's in episode one forty two, which is a while goodness, ago, a thousand goodness. years yeah. ago. A thousand billion years ago. We've also covered relationship goals. That was less than a thousand years ago. That was in Multi Emory episode 213. But I realized we haven't necessarily looked at standards. And before we dive into the difference, I want to hear from the two of you just off the top of your head. What do you think of when you hear the word standards in the context of dating and relationships?
1: Immediately when I hear the word standard, something that I think about is, and yeah, for better or for worse, just I was not ever raised in a religious environment. So I think if I met someone who was uber religious, it would be very challenging for me to date them. Because I would have like no emotional touchstone whatsoever for that. And I would have a lot of awkward questions and it wouldn't be great <laughs> as I do on our other podcast with the two of you so I do feel like I, I that is a standard or an expectation that like I that somebody maybe they can be spiritual or whatever but not that they are like uber uber religious perhaps
0: okay
2: interesting I think for me what comes to mind is more just about how you're willing to be treated by a partner mm. by someone you're dating. You know, so I guess it would come up in the context of what are your standards in terms of a person, you know, being affectionate to you versus being critical or or maybe a little bit mean or maybe standards for how consistently they do what they say they're going to do. Maybe something like that. But I also feel like if I heard someone say standards, I might also wonder if what they really meant was like how much money this person makes or how attractive mm-hmm. this person is. And so I feel like it really covers a pretty wide range of 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 qualities or things like that.
1: It really does. Yeah, and I do feel like some people are just uh, they have a very clear idea of what they expect and want in a relationship and others are more go with the flow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you said in the intro, some people tend to be uh, her- you know told that okay, women believe that uh, their standards are too high or others believe that their standards are too low or something along those lines. So that's something to examine here. I'm interested in what you found, Dedeker.
0: Well, first, I'm going to combine what both of you said because when just now this just popped up in my brain, when I hear the word standards in the context of dating and relationships, it brings up a memory of an exercise that I did at the tender age of probably 13 or 14, when I was mm. still in the evangelical church. Oh, right. Oh, gosh. And, and it was an exercise in a in a Sunday school class of all girls. It was a handout we were given where it was essentially like a list of qualities that you might have in a boyfriend or a future husband. Oh, and
2: right.
0: each of these qualities was attached to a dollar figure. And you were given like a fictional amount of money and it, the whole purpose of the exercise was kind of like, what are the qualities that are most important to you? But they, but these qualities were also v- arbitrarily valued at different price points based on the person who wrote right, the exercise. Of course, as I'm saying yeah. this, I cannot remember for the life of me why we did this.
2: All right. I mean, probably they I wanted did, Sunday you Sunday to be with someone religious. Well, I was thinking your Sunday school teacher was just like, they found it and was like, I guess I'll do this because I don't know what to do with these kids today. <laughs>
0: it's quite possible. There you go. But I don't remember if the purpose of the exercise was, yeah, you should be thinking about these things because obviously you're not dating around. You know, the next person mm-hmm. you pick is going to be the person. So you got to be very clear right. about what your standards are and very clear on what you value. Or alternately, it's quite possible the whole point of the exercise was to shame women and girls for yeah. being too picky or for thinking that they can have like a laundry list. Of expectations of a future partner or whatever. Yeah, you're trying to train them them early
2: to have lower expectations or something. It's like you can't afford all of them. So, oh goodness. Maybe.
0: Yeah, it's quite possible. I don't know. I would have to track down that exercise. If anyone else has religious PTSD and grew up during evangelical purity culture and knows what I'm talking about, please reach out to me because I'd be fascinated to take a look at this again. That's what I think of with standards. (laughs) Great. Well, there you go. So let's take a moment to, for the purposes of this episode, break down the differences between expectations, standards, other relationship criteria, and also featuring boundaries, because it seems like boundaries just kind of make their way into everything.
1: So these are two definitions for the word standard listed in the dictionary that we found. The first one is a level of quality or attainment. And the second is something used as a measure, norm, or model in comparative
2: evaluations. Okay. So, kind of like, okay. you know, the gold standard or elite standard or yeah. AAA standard or whatever. And then the second one's like, this is the standard practice or the standard mm. way to do something.
1: Got it. Okay. So the way we talk about standards in dating and relationships kind of tends to encompass both of these definitions, like the quality of a partner or a partnership that we are looking for, as well as the baseline of comparison that we may be holding people up to. Yeah, like, Mm. I have heard that a lot out there. I don't think that I think of people in this way. Like, also, my question is, how do you know immediately if a person is, like, up to your standards or not? Like, this is potentially, like, a lot of information that you have to give someone to figure out whether or not they rise to that standard. Like, you can't probably even find all that out in an evening,
0: Oh, definitely not. It's interesting to preview a little bit of what's coming later in the episode is I did poll our patron group about this, about how people define standards, what standards they hold, if they think there's such a thing as too high or too low standards. And that was an interesting recurring theme that there were people who were very clear on what their standards were, often based on past experiences, based on, you know, I want a partner who has this, who can do this, who can offer this, who's okay with this, so on and so forth. Mm But there were also a lot of people who I think had your same reaction, Emily, of like, "Whoa, I I can't, I can't think about people or relationships in this way." Or for me, it's more of a, I know it when I see it
2: Mm, feeling. It's more of an organic
0: process, more of a feeling out process. So I think that's interesting. yeah, that there is. It seems like a little bit of these two different camps of how people approach this.
2: Yeah, and also I feel like this—the topic of standards in relationships—comes up both in terms of either criticizing or helping people guide their choices for who they start to date. You know, who to go on that first date with, but then also comes up more in terms of who you choose to stay in relationship with. And it, and it is mm-hmm. different. And kind of like you said, Emily, it's those those later ones. It's you don't get to know that someone's gonna call you names when you argue until you've been in a relationship with them for a while. Because exactly. they're not gonna do that on the first date. I mean,
1: it'd be Presumably. great if they did, so you
2: could just get out then and not <laughs> worry about it, but, you know.
1: Yeah, but standards are different right at the beginning of a relationship. You're like, well, do I click with this person? Do I like them? Are they interesting to me? You know, rather than, are, th- is, are they gonna be the father of my child or something? Right. Well, I do think
0: it does seem to depend on what intention you're holding and what you're looking for when you start dating. I hear about the standards thing more frequently in the context of people who are very intentional of, I want to find a nesting partner. I want to find someone to co-parent with. I want to find my soulmate. You know, like I I think we, at least what I glean, what I osmose from my own culture and my own community is people tend to have less of this sense of, I need to cling to this particular list of standards when I'm just looking to casually date or hook up with somebody.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Then how do these standards compare with expectations or maybe boundaries or some other things? So these are some definitions that we used from that uh, relationship expectations episode way back, 142. So expectations concern how you want a relationship to turn out or how you want a partner to act. And then boundaries reflect what your conduct will be in order to protect yourself in light of something that goes counter to your values. And then deal breakers are behaviors, actions or qualities that one will not tolerate within their relationship. So kind of that's the the overlap with boundaries or like a type of boundary is that sort of deal breaker type of boundary where it's if this happens I'm I'm out totally versus a boundary that maybe just involves you you know, enforcing that boundary for yourself, like, I'm going to not participate in a conversation where X happens, or I'm not going to be in a room while this is going on, or something like that. That, that those might be boundaries, but not necessarily the deal-breaker type. And then we also defined need is something that you ask for and communicate to your partner, but it's something that you want them to do rather than something that you're able to do for yourself like a boundary.
0: I thought that it was important to lay this out because uh, there's a lot of overlap here, right? You know, I think that standards and expectations and relationship needs and deal breakers and all these things intersect quite a lot. And so while it's, I don't want to make the argument that these are completely separate, you know, completely separate concepts that uh, have no overlap whatsoever, I did just kind of want to. Clarify our language for this episode just to keep that a little bit clear. So, the way that I think about it, the way that I puzzled all this together, Uh and how I think these things relate to each other is in my brain, it's like your standards, they serve as like the measuring tool. And the measuring tool informs your expectations of your partner or your potential partner's qualities or behaviors. And where needs come into play is like you communicate your needs, your relationship needs, and you enforce personal boundaries so that you can co-create the relationship with this other person that does meet your standards, that does meet your measuring tool. And part of that being that, of course, you're using your personal boundaries or you may choose to end a relationship if it's not meeting that standard or if there's certain deal breakers involved does that feel like that clears it up at all? That was the way that I made sense of it in my brain. But language is hard, and these concepts have a lot of overlap.
1: Yeah, because it feels like values, which we talked about fairly recently as well, are also a part of it. So, yeah, yeah, and and one might say, okay, values and standards are fairly similar, but values are kind of personal, and standards are like what you throw onto the other person. It's (laughs) like, I want you to be these things, I believe in these things for myself. I don't know. So that is kind of the boundaries versus expectation thing. Like expectation is external and boundaries are internal. Maybe we need to come up with just
0: one omni-word that encompasses everything. (laughs) And we'll just make all of
1: our episodes about that one
0: (laughs) (laughs) omni-word.
2: I feel like in this context, though, that there maybe is a similarity between, you know, when we talk about... Boundaries. We talk about boundaries, kind of being your this non-negotiable thing that's you can you can enforce yourself, and that it's something that ideally, in a good relationship, you're never touching up against those, right? Like the, the they're not sort of someone who sits right at your boundary is not the goal. That's just sort of your last line of defense. It's like we can't go past this point, and hopefully, we don't have to get close to it very often, if at all, and maybe at least in the way people tend to use standards, it is a little bit more like a minimum standard is how people tend to talk about it. Versus, you know, well, I'd like to find someone who does these things or who does that or has these qualities, but my standards are kind of, but this is sort of the minimum. They've at least got to match up to these in these particular areas. So maybe there's a similar thing to boundaries. I don't think I don't think we can use one omni word to replace all of them. Of course, but probably not. We could try. We could try. But I think there's maybe a similar thing there, where there's a difference between thinking of a standard as a minimum versus thinking of a standard as this is what I want as a, as sort of a goal in who your partner is or how they treat you or something. I don't know if that's always how people use it, but I'm just kind of thinking of what what distinguishes it from other things like expectations or desires or needs or things like that.
0: Well, do you want to know what science says, how science defines
2: standards? I love science. I
0: I took a dive into just what research studies are out there on relationship standards. I wasn't necessarily looking for anything in particular. I just wanted to see how do researchers define relationship standards. And I went down a really interesting rabbit hole. So I stumbled onto the work of Professor W. Kim Holford from the University of Queensland in Australia and... He and his colleagues have basically performed a billion years of research on relationship standards, everything including intercultural differences in relationships and how that influences standards, co-parenting relationships, how that influences relationship standards, and also in same-sex relationships as well, which we'll get to a little bit later. And this is how he and his colleagues define it. Quote, relationship standards are beliefs about what makes a good romantic relationship. and I think that corresponds with what you are saying, Jace, about it being a little bit different from a bare minimum and more about the like, you know this this is what I want. you know this is yeah. something that is desirable for what I think is a good romantic relationship.
2: Yeah, I still think of it as a minimum, but it's like a minimum of what's still good versus a boundary, which is like the minimum tolerable at all of like, now Mm. I'm getting out of here if we're even close to this. So yeah, right, interesting. Interesting. So I could still see that being like, okay, it's the minimum of what still counts as good. (laughs) So maybe that's that's a better clarification. Good job, Professor Holford.
0: Professor Holford, well done. Well done, good job. Well, so actually very good job because I notice that Holford and his colleagues seem to be one one of the few if not only research teams that are actually looking at relationship standards as they specifically play out in same-sex relationships. You know, of course, as we've talked about on this show, the really frustrating thing is so much research is just done on white cis heteronormative often presumed to be monogamous, sometimes also even married individuals, that that's considered the default blueprint for a relationship. And so the gold for, standard, it is, oh, as it were. Wow. Yes. Bringing it back yes. around. And so I was really excited to see that they're actually doing research on relationships and on people that are not that, which is super helpful and really valuable. So he did 2020 study titled Assessment of Couple Relationship Standards in Same-Sex Attracted Adults, where he and his research team laid out both the common relationship standards that have been determined by other studies to be important in heterosexual relationships, as well as some relationship standards that are unique to same sex relationships, which I thought was so valuable. Basically, the whole point of this study was there's already an existing research, like assessment scale for relationship standards that have been applied to heterosexual couples. And the whole point of this was to create one that also included these unique standards. That show up in same sex relationships, which I thought was really important work. So these are the ones that are on like the standard scale in a lot of research on relationship standards right now. So the first one is couple bonding is held as an important relationship standard. So that includes things like expressions of care, love, intimacy, things like that. Another one is family responsibility. So that looks at things like how do we manage our extended family relationships. How do we maintain faith, essentially like our social faith? How do we maintain harmony within our family? This one really surprised me. Religion is mm. also on the scale. So as in how important we both feel in our partnership about shared religious rituals, how important we feel it is to raise children in a particular faith, or how important it is to hold a belief that our relationship is sacred or blessed by a higher by a higher power in some way
2: yeah i'm i'm surprised that this surprised you at all though because it's like (laughs) if that's an important thing in your life then absolutely i mean that was always what was you know just beat into all of us growing up christian was like you have to date and you have to eventually marry a christian person because otherwise Mm. they're going to lead you astray your kids will be For awful, sure that awful, you, you know, all that stuff. That, that yeah.
0: did happen to us. <laughs> 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 to both of us. Yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. They're not wrong.
2: Yeah. So that one doesn't surprise me at all. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's... If that's something you think is really important, then that's going to be an important thing to find in a partner. Or, or maybe <laughs> do get led astray. I don't know.
0: Well, I guess it surprised me because I wasn't expecting it to pop up in a research study. I wasn't expecting it to mm-hmm. be, I don't know, such a factor that seemed to be... At least, you know, the studies studies seeming to suggest that this was relatively universal. So that was the thing that caught me off guard. And the last one here is uh, relationship effort slash investment.
1: That's really interesting. I wonder exactly what that means, like how much effort one puts into the relationship or how invested you are. I guess, yeah, if you get two people who are just casually dating, for example, then... Perhaps Great. they'll yeah. fit together really well versus one person who wants to casually date and one person who wants to marry someone else. Yeah, that's not going to, yeah. to go well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And uh, unique to queer relationships are things like relationship outness. If you and your yeah. partner are both out, I was, when that you, makes a big difference. When you
2: talked about this study at first, Dedeker, I was like, what are the unique things? Like, relationships are relationships. But I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, outness, that makes sense. That is a different sort of thing and can definitely apply, I would say, also to something like non-monogamous relationships because it is that factor of how open are you about the relationship that we might have with each other. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and also sexual openness is another part of this, like openness to forms of non-monogamy. Mm-hmm, yeah. As in some queer relationships, that is kind of the standard, as it were, and in others, that's not as much.
2: I might, I might make an argument that that was already part of their standards. They just didn't call it that. With mm. Maybe what they roped into relationship effort slash investment, part of that piece is also, do you want to be monogamous? And to them, that's just, oh, that's just investment in a relationship. Because, uh, you know, again, that's yeah, the quite default. Possibly. So that, quite possibly. I, bet, I bet that's even in there, but people just didn't know how to ask the questions in quite the right way.
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't do the deep dive into, like, specifically what were the kind of questions they were asking people mm-hmm. using this particular scale to right. evaluate that because that wasn't the point of this particular paper. But, yeah, no, that's a really good point.
1: And also something unique to queer relationships is dyadic coping with homophobic discrimination. So, you know, how do you and your partner or partners deal with homophobic discrimination, Mm. how much... Yeah, what do you do when that affects you? So that's something that is unique in that way. Yeah. Yeah,
0: something that the study pointed out as far as practical applications here is, for instance... Queer couples or same sex couples who are seeking out something like therapy together, hmm. how important it is to have a therapist who's not just limited to this kind of previous set of relationship standards and kind of evaluating how matched couples are on those, but like these are also extra things that therapists who are helping queer couples may need to think about because they're also important.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And bear in mind that these studies suggest that partners need to have similar standards regarding each of these areas in order to maximize relationship satisfaction, as opposed to suggesting that a relationship needs to highly value religion or sexual openness in order to be healthy. Just similarity is the main thing here, because perhaps you don't really care that much about being sexually open or... Religion, for example, things like that. It's just kind of the scale on which both
2: of you are mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, now just just from this brief description, I'm like, well, you could have two people who think religion's very important, but they're in different religions, and that's not compatible. So it's not maybe yeah. not a linear scale exactly, but but yeah, that makes sense though. It's, we have to be similar in however that area is. You know, however yeah. we might measure that area. But clearly that works as well with some relationships,
1: so it doesn't necessarily matter. But something to think about for sure. Alrighty, well, we are going to move on and talk more about things like non-monogamy, food for thought about that. Also, is it possible to have too high or too low standards? But before we get into that, we're going to discuss some ways that you can help our show out and continue bringing it to the masses for free.
0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also
0: That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I, at AdamandEve.com, AdamMail.com, or Eve'sToys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I.
2: And we're back. So the question on everyone's mind, of course, is what about the non-monogamous folks? We talked about it a little, but is anyone researching this? Maybe we have to be the ones to take this deeper dive into it. (laughs) So people who are polyamorous, non-monogamous, or relationship anarchist, or something else, they might not only hold very different relationship standards, but also may hold different standards for different types of concurrent relationships, right? So you may have a very different standard for a comet relationship who you see maybe once a year versus someone who you want to live with versus someone who you might date casually versus someone who might just be a play partner, right? There's so many different ways those relationships could look. And I'd say to kind of go back to some of the things we saw before with the standards about how invested you might be in a relationship, clearly one might look at those and say, well, rather than what am i invested in right now or what am i looking for right now it's what am i looking for in this relationship even at the same time as other ones where i might be looking for something else so there's some interesting stuff for us to get into here
0: yeah so i the closest thing that i could do to a very quick research study was posting in our patron only group <laughs> to so <laughs> all people. it's so great <laughs> yeah, yeah. patron only group largely but not exclusively identifies as some form of non-monogamous or relationship anarchist. And I was curious to see what kind of relationship standards people are holding when they are seeking out new partners specifically. And I got like 800 billion comments on my post. <laughs> like it was a little bit overwhelming. I wasn't expecting that much response, but I read through all of them and I did pick out some recurring themes that I thought was really interesting. So a lot of people talked about holding a standard of you know, a potential partner being self-aware in some form or fashion. So this took on the form of they're willing to do self-work or they know themselves, they know what they need, or they are open to therapy, or maybe even already going to therapy if they need it or if they want it. So that was one standard that a lot of people expressed, which is something that I didn't really come across when I was looking at much more of the like traditional heteronormative resources Mm. Mm. about relationship standards. A lot of people expressed also wanting to find someone who has similar views as far as about morals or ethics. Sometimes that was specifically about political views, but often it just Mm. came back to we have to share similar morals and a similar sense of ethics.
2: The morals and ethics question is interesting, but I could see that making sense that it would be extra important in non-monogamous relationships because If you're stepping outside of saying okay there's this kind of predefined script about what relationships look like and how we behave socially and sexually and stuff like that 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 we're doing a lot more outside of that box just going okay we're sort of paving our own path and that really relies much more heavily on thinking about your morals and your ethics and and making choices not just because it's what everyone does but because you're really evaluating that. And I think that makes a lot of sense that you would, it would be extra important to find someone who lines up with you in those ways.
0: Yeah. Another recurring theme was this idea of, you know, I want to find a partner who has their own schedule. They have their own life. They have their own friends. Essentially they have other support systems and other things going on than just me and just the relationship which I also thought was really interesting. That doesn't really show up when I look at this very traditional list
1: of relationship standards. Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of leave their friends, their their friends become much more like back burner to their main core relationship and potentially kids and, you know, the family life. And that is really interesting that there's that specific distinction here. And I appreciate that about it because I think in, in regardless of what type of relationship you're in, having your own things is really, really important.
2: Yeah. But Definitely. yeah, but most of us just take don't for granted that, that you yeah. won't have any yeah. other relationships or life outside of me if we're together. And
0: yeah. And that it's quite okay and quite healthy. If right. You right. Don't yeah. have that's certainly, that.
2: that is certainly how I lived all of my romantic relationships before starting to explore non-monogamy. And that's when it all started coming apart and realizing mm-hmm. that that wasn't the best thing actually.
0: Somewhat related to that was a lot of people expressed wanting to find a partner or a partnership where the other person has a sense of passion, something they're passionate about, a sense of their own interests, or maybe a life path, not necessarily a career path. I think the traditional version of this is wanting someone who has a stable job, perhaps, Mm -hmm. or like has an established career. And It seemed like people were more open to this person has some kind of life path, something that's guiding them, something that is driving them forward, not necessarily career-based. And something, I don't know why this was a little bit surprising, but a lot of people just said kindness, just straight up.
1: I'm glad it's that's on there. Yeah, I, th- to, I think it's great. Yeah, the other research that we looked at didn't name that as one. And I'm no. sure people want their partners to be kind, but I appreciate that our patrons are saying that. Yeah, yeah,
0: There's some good people. Indeed. A lot of people also expressed You know, wanting someone who can respect other people's boundaries and also express their own boundaries, like wanting someone who's able to say no to things so that they can trust that their partner is actually able to consent or not to different things, not just sexual situations, but life situations in general. And of course, one that a lot of people expressed was, you know, holding a standard of dating someone who's already okay with non-monogamy or maybe even already experienced or possibly even already partnered as well.
2: Yeah, it all makes sense. And it's something that came up for me when thinking about all of these things too is just how how a lot of these standards whether they're, you know, the more previously studied monogamous standards or if they're these ones we're talking about in non-monogamy, just how important it is to maybe move away from thinking about them all as a linear scale of all of these are like high on this scale is good and low is bad. And Mm -hmm. more like the researchers were saying before, and we'll get into this more later when we talk about too high and too low standards, but the researchers before saying, right, it's more important that you match on these things or that your partner fits these, these things that are standards to you, not to say that someone who doesn't fit those is bad Or that you think those people are less than you, or something. And I think that's an important distinction to make that gets missed in a lot of the kind of popular, popular articles and talk about Mm. the subject of standards. It is treated a little bit more like it just means better. You just want to. You should be dating people who are better, rather than Mm. people who are a better fit for you. And I think that that this list helped kind of clarify that for me. Of like, that's really what matters the most, because to someone else these qualities might be terrible qualities to them or, you know, it would, would not be something they want kind of, again, like we saw with the list before about, you know, religion or sexual openness or something that some people might want less of those things. And so that, that, that really has becoming more and more clear as we do this episode.
1: Yeah. Standards are as unique as the individual who has them. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. So, no, so are you saying there's no, perhaps there's no standard for standards?
0: Ooh. Mm. i don't know i
1: mean are there baseline standards that everyone should be okay with i don't know maybe not well, that is, May- a Ooh, I mean, is a question i mean i mean
0: gosh that i mean that's almost like cracking open the egg of is there is there like moral relativity or is it moral yeah. absolute i don't know <laughs> are there is there standards relativity or is there standards
1: absolute
2: whoa whoa well, on this
0: episode of multi yeah
1: there you go indeed <laughs> So, anytime you add more than one person to a relationship, it's going to, you know, just add some more things to think about and some more considerations to have. So, here's some food for thought for non-monogamous folks that might kind of seem a little contradictory, but they are two fundamental truths. And one we talked about briefly before is that not every relationship you have has to have the same standard. It doesn't have to be held to the same standard like you know, that comet partner out there that you may have a different standard for versus the one that is, you know, your live-in partner. Your standard of communication with them, your expectations may be very different between those two people, and that's totally fine. And also, second, you may have some standards that are healthy for you to hold regardless of the type of relationship. So, you may have a baseline for yourself, of care and respect and communication with both your casual comet partner and your live-in partner. So they seem like they're a little bit diametrically opposed, but they're not. They, they still can both be true, even if they are a little separate from one another.
0: Something we've talked about on the show before is that there's quite a lot of polyamory PR out there that makes the argument of like, oh yeah, the great thing about non-monogamy is you can... Get all these different needs met by different people, like do a little bit of this mix and match. And that is great. That is fantastic. And at the same time, there may be things, there may be standards, boundaries, expectations, needs, like all of these things, the, the omni word that we have yet to come up with. <laughs> that may be true across the board, regardless of the person, regardless of how casual or connected or overlapping or intertwined. relationship is. And this is really interesting work that I find myself doing a lot with my clients, especially when it comes to things like navigating more casual relationships. Because like we talked about earlier in this episode, for some reason, I think socially, there's less of an expectation that you're going to have particular standards around a casual relationship. You know, unfortunately, we have kind of this unofficial script for casual relationships of like, oh, we're just fuck buddies. So that mm-hmm. means we hook up. Maybe we're friendly, but no cuddling, no real communication, keeping each other at arm's length, you know, like... I had
1: a guy who said, no kissing.
0: Boy, mm. oh boy, We could oh boy. have
1: sex, but no kissing. Did you do yep. it? Did you do him? Yeah, I was sleeping with him for a while. But then eventually, no. after a while, he was like you know what? We're getting like too intimate. We need to like not kiss. We can have sex, but not kiss. (laughs) That was a low standard that I had that I dealt with, that I like kept around for a while. It was real, not, not cool.
0: Wow. Well, okay. I think that's actually a perfect example that I find myself helping a lot of clients come to the realization of like, yes, I can consent to a casual relationship. I can be really clear about what I expect and don't expect from this relationship, but I can also recognize there's a particular standard of care or communication that's not being met by this casual relationship. And Mm. I I think that's really revolutionary for a lot of people because I I think we have been socialized to think if it's a casual relationship, expect absolutely nothing.
2: (laughs) You know, don't expect them to text you
0: back. Don't expect them to be kind to you. Don't expect them to care about your well-being, Don't expect to be able to make any requests of them. When that's not true, you know, actually the best, quote unquote, more casual relationships are ones, in my opinion, that have all those things. So that's just something I encourage people to think about, that we can kind of get hemmed in by these boxes of how we think our standards are supposed to be for different types of relationships. And there may be some things that you hold that are actually a little bit more universal. Yeah. Even if this person is not the person that you're co-parenting or living with.
1: Like fucking kiss me if you're gonna fucking fuck me.
0: Exactly that <laughs> guy. Good, I hope he's listening. That's
2: a good quote. For <laughs> he's Emily. not.
0: We sh- we will. I will anonymously, not even anonymously. I will randomly <laughs> send this episode to him with no explanation, Perfect. and All right. yeah. you can figure it out. Great,
2: <laughs> amazing. Okay, so we've been we've been dancing around this for a little while, and it's time to address the question is it possible to have standards that are too high or too low? And it doesn't even make sense to say high or low when referring to standards. Hmm. So we're going to get into this. This question is super interesting because if you consult the internet on this, you will find a lot of very, very gendered resources, very heteronormative gendered resources. Basically, it's that women are criticized for having standards that are too high, and it's often women who are also accused of having low self-esteem, which leads to them having standards that are too low. And I don't know. I love how
1: men are just allowed to have whatever the fuck they want.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about that a little.
0: Yeah. So a lot of these much more quote unquote traditional resources out there do speak to the importance of self-esteem and self-worth in order to create healthy standards that aren't too high and aren't too low. But what's interesting is, you know, our research assistant for this episode pointed out the fact that when she was researching, she couldn't find any advice around having high self-esteem that was directed at men. It's always directed at women. And even when she Googled, quote, relationship standards for men, all of the resources on the first page were still directed toward
1: women looking for men.
2: The standards to apply to men.
1: Yes, right. and I are, think that are men this like really like hot commodity like what? like I don't know it's just strange to me. <laughs>
2: well, I think I mean, gosh, we could do a whole episode on this, and we've touched on it a little bit before, but it's just that thing that I think in our sort of mainstream traditional culture, there's this assumption that men just don't. Care that much about anything besides being attracted to the person, and that, and, and there's, I guess, also maybe a bit of an assumption that well, women are always going to be nice to men. It's just that men aren't always nice and, to women, and so women are the ones want, who need to want have to be, standards, right.
0: right? I think that also is ropes in the assumption that women are always going to want to be monogamous, yeah, that's, with men, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And
2: so, standard-wise, yeah. that's often one of the standards is does he want to just be with you? Does he, you know, treat you like a queen or, you know, whatever. There's Depending on what articles you find, it's either worded in a very traditional religious way or it's yeah. worded in this very, you know, young, modern, hip language. But they're basically saying the same stuff. They're basically yeah. still all prescribing to this same belief that just, it sucks. It's really problematic for so many reasons. And like I said, we could do a whole episode on it. But I think it, it really does everyone a disservice by, one, assuming that men don't have standards and that it's not even worth talking about, and then also assuming that any sort of relationship compatibility issues are entirely women's faults for not having high enough or low enough standards. Yeah. No, no one's being helped by this. Roll this. This is not good. Well,
0: speaking of problematic things, the only <laughs> place that I've come across resources or content aimed at men about their standards has been often in like really gross pickup artist spaces Mm -hmm. where the standards are only about where a woman falls on a scale of zero to 10. Right. 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 That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Maybe there's some kind of secret treasure trove for, for like crunchy with it, feminist guys, where it's talking about (laughs) their standards and stuff like that. That's out there that I haven't found, but it's like, that's what my exposure has been. To it,
2: yeah, maybe it's just that that language is not the language that's used, like maybe it's mm. just that calling it standards might be something that's just because that's so entrenched in this one way of looking at relationships that maybe the other advice out there just doesn't talk about it in that way. I don't know that's an interesting it's an interesting thing, maybe someone out there will make this resource, though, if it doesn't exist already.
1: I think you may us, and yeah, we should work on that, perhaps. <laughs> So, okay, Dedeker also asked the patron group this question, this, like, too high, too low question, and there were some really interesting responses. The primary recurring theme was that if people accuse you of having standards that are too high or of being, you know, too picky, just don't believe them. Just, nah. Uh, They may—it may make it harder to date, but sacrificing too much can lead to a lot of hurt and regret. That's really yeah, interesting. A, a lot of
0: people said that in various yeah. ways. Of just yeah, I've been criticized. People have said I'm too picky, but I've at this point I've learned like nah, no, nah, my standards are just right. That's yeah, great. That's good.
2: Yeah, I love that. Good. I think it's also just it comes with experience, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of, at least my impression is a lot of the stuff writing about relationship standards are kind of written for people who are maybe newer to having relationships, haven't had as many of them, or maybe have only had a couple bad ones. And I don't think this is universally true, but generally speaking, non-monogamous people, if you've been doing it for a while, you've just had more relationships, period, because of the fact that you can have them at the same time, and that's acceptable, and everyone's open about that. So I do think it does help increase that experience needed to really fine-tune and understand your own standards.
1: So other people pointed out that it is often a lifelong calibration process for standards, kind of like you're saying, Jace. (laughs) Yeah, you may fluctuate between highs and lows until you find what creates your ideal dating pool. And another interesting take was if you look back and think that your standards in the past were too high or too low, that might be true, or it might just be a sign that you're changing and so are your standards. Yeah. I I mean, we talk about this, like all of us are kind of ever evolving, like nothing that we do necessarily stays the same just forever. You know, you're born and then that's it. Like, good luck. Your standards are going to be what they are. Yeah. But rather, yeah, I I mean, if you're non-monogamous later in life, then clearly your standards are going to change from when you were potentially monogamous and
2: looking for something else entirely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm curious for the two of you if there are ways that you feel like your standards have changed. Because I, when I look back, I'm just Ooh. like, gosh, mine <laughs> have gone through so many huge changes, right? From being, mm. you know, waiting till marriage, looking for soulmate, monogamist kind of way of thinking, to not being as strict in that, but still thinking more monogamously, or maybe like almost a little bit swingery, lifestyle-y to then non-monogamy and polyamory having very different look at that and then even within that from what i was looking for in partners uh, you know looking for certain types of i guess certain types of intimacy or certain types of communication that now i feel like i'm looking for very different ones of of Mm. in terms of you know learning some things i guess part of it's just learning like the whole really learning what a wonderful thing it is to find someone who's good at saying no and who's like clear about that. And, and right. Cause it's just, it's so freeing when someone's able to say no to you that it's like, okay, great. Now we're like, we're on the way toward being clearer with each other and not having to do as much guessing, which is great. You know, just something like that that I never would have considered before.
0: Yeah. I yeah. would say that I think if I think back to when I first started dating and started experimenting with, Relationships in general. I don't know. I think my standards before, you know, what I believed made for a good relationship was probably just like, I don't know, hang out with me all the time uh-huh. until I tell you to go away and then don't speak to me. And
2: <laughs> I feel like that's, that's still a little bit, still a little a bit. Little there. bit
0: I'd like to think of maybe a healthier, more communicative
2: <laughs> okay. version of that. Uh, maybe more yeah. clearly communicated. Yeah.
1: Yeah. my expectation of, I guess, yeah, how much a person is around me Mm. and how much I am, like, so deeply entrenched in their lives. I mean, I think I am very entrenched in my partner's life, but I'm dating someone who, like, isn't, you know, an actor and isn't in that kind of community at all. And so we very much have, like, different hobbies and skills and things like that. And so I think that's changed for me. Like, I don't necessarily need someone to be doing the th- the same things that I am in order for it to work and rather mm. I can like learn a lot of cool things that are different from any skill set that I have with my partners so that's that's cool I dated a lot of people in the industry you know oh,
0: haven't we all
1: <laughs> yes I suppose haven't we, we all? Have.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and it, it's nice to take a break from that
0: See my my strategy when I was still acting, and my strategy that I still hold to the, to this day is date people just kind of adjacent to the industry. Yeah, you well, know, that's kind of where you are now. Long string occur? of VFX people
2: is how <laughs> yeah, it's played know, out, that's, out in real life. That's, that I type see these that. Days. I know <laughs> it has <laughs> been totally for bad. years. I guess. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh man, so something that's interesting though, hearing what both of you said and and what I was talking about, is that it does seem very clear that. There's a little bit of adjusting how high or low standards are in a certain way, maybe, but it seems more that it's just about fine-tuning kind of what's the range in each category or what are some of the specifics in each thing. And so calling them high or low is maybe part of what I'm ending up taking issue with Mm -hmm. as we've kind of been diving into this more, that maybe calling them high and low isn't so much the issue, but maybe it's more looking at how big is your window for flexibility within this standard area that's still going to feel really good, that still could be a good relationship. And I think that's an area where, at least in the traditional way of looking at relationships, some of my areas of that you might call lower, but it's more I've just learned that that's not a need that I have to have met by every single romantic mm. partner of mine or every single sexual partner. And so I think it is a little bit more about just tweaking and finding what are the things that, that matter to you and sort of what's the range of those. And then also in non-monogamy, there's the option of, well, depending who it is that I'm meeting or connecting with, I might go, okay, I know now that these sorts of things fit better within the standards that I have mm. for a play partner than it does for, you know, a very serious romantic partner or someone I'm going to live with or something like that, right? That it's, you might, might help you actually determine what kind of relationship would be good and see if that works for them too, because, because they've also got standards on the other side as well. That's important to keep in mind. exactly So let's look at some practical exercises that you can do for examining your standards, getting some clarity on that for yourself, especially if you're someone who's like, gosh, I don't even know. I haven't Thought about this and so first thing this comes from jason sackett who is a licensed clinical social worker and it's a he says a good starting place for setting standards is writing down a list of the qualities and behaviors that make you the happiest in a relationship are the most meaningful to you and that are non-negotiable and essentially out of that you can make kind of a wants list and a needs list Right, So kind of mm-hmm. to go back to what we talked about before of sort of here's kind of my minimum standard in this, but here's where I'd actually like to be in this area. You know, here's what I would like to find. Here's kind of a minimum standard. And you're starting to establish a range or an area in that. And feel free to update this list continuously. Right. Revisit this. Go back and be like, you know what? Actually, that one turned out not to be so important. Or like this one. That thing I thought was the minimum standard, actually, my minimum was what I said I just wanted before. It's like, now that's the minimum Mm. and what I want is higher than that. You know, just keep adjusting it. Keep tweaking it as you learn and have experiences.
0: We also have a few questions to ask if you are out there and you're worried about having standards that are too high or too low. So you can ask yourself questions like, okay, does this person actually exist in real life? Is there actually a chance that they do? You can ask yourself, are any of my standards actually a defense mechanism that's preventing me from feeling uncomfortable or vulnerable? And I want to clarify, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're realizing like, yes, this is something that's preventing me from experiencing some pain or it's in place because of some pain I experienced in the past. I'm all about that. I just think it's important to recognize. And then ask the follow-up question, is this actually protecting me? Is my intention Hmm. in having this standard actually protecting me from pain or from a kind of discomfort or or vulnerability that I just don't want to experience? And if it is, great. If it's not, then that's also something to reconsider. And lastly, a question that you can ask yourself is, if I could wave a magic wand, what would be the most wonderful, Ideal version of a partnership that I can imagine. This one's more directed for people who I think are worried about their standards being too low. I think it's really important to think about, you know, what would just be wonderful as opposed to what do you think that you deserve or mm. what do you think your other partner is going to be okay with or whatever it is that tapping into that I think can really wake up that sense of what would actually feel really, really good for you instead of just tolerable or just...
1: Yeah. And our good friend John Gottman recommends striving... We're we're not friends. (laughs) I know, we're not, but I wish we were. (laughs) We just talk about him on the show a lot, so it feels like we're friends. But uh, he recommends striving for relationships that are good enough, which means that people expect to be treated with kindness, love, respect, and affection, free of emotional and physical abuse manage conflict and repair well enough that everyone feels validated and understood. Those are like simple baseline things that are good enough in a relationship and a, a good like starting place for yourself with another person.
0: Yeah, the Gottmans are all about this whole quote unquote, like good enough relationship thing and and not to imply that it's like you should be settling at every turn, but more to imply, you know, your relationship doesn't have to be perfect. This person doesn't have to be perfect your relationship doesn't have to be this big, amazing, cosmic, like healing force in your life. It can be that. And that's great. But it doesn't have to be. The Gottmans often come back to like, can you sit down and have a cup of coffee and have a really good conversation? Can you still do that five years in? Can you still do that 10 years in? And Mm -hmm. that feels like a very low standard to some people. But the more that I think about it, the more that it makes sense to me. So I guess stuff. Yeah, stuff for all y'all to think about. So in our bonus episode today, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about, quote unquote, high value and low value partners. These are terms that are getting some buzz online in certain circles. We're also going to talk about how these concepts intersect with things like race, class, wealth, ability, and more. We want to hear from you. What are your relationship standards? You can go check our Instagram story this week to be able to answer that. In addition, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash Multiamory. You can also share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenowark and Carson Collins. Research for this episode was done by Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.